that uh, we're all here to worship Jesus. As you could tell, uh, we are going through the book of Exodus. And last week, I I said something that was pretty bold, but I'm going to stand behind it as we continue to work our way through this book, that the entire narrative of the story of Exodus is your story and my story of what it means to be saved, what it means to experience or define salvation according to what the Bible has to say. The entire narrative that we're going through and that we're working through is actually it's actually your story of salvation, and it's my story of salvation too. And this morning in particularly, what we're looking at right now is we're looking at a classic example here in chapter 3 of Exodus of what it means for a human to experience spiritual reality with God, what it means for us to have an encounter with the God of the Bible. You might be saying, Cody, wow, that's a, that's a hot take. That's a, that's a big leap because I, I noticed a couple of things within this passage, but I didn't necessarily notice anything around uh, us following after Jesus or knowing and understanding what it means to have a spiritual, life-changing encounter with him. So let's buckle up, prepare, and know that's where we're going. Because I think we see four things, four things that help us understand. And I'm going to present it to you in four different questions that this text is going to reveal to us, okay? Let's jump in right now. What are these four things? Number one, how do we encounter the God of the Bible? So how do we do it? What does it mean for us to have a real encounter with God? How do we do it? Number two, what is an encounter with God truly? What is it? So how do we get there and what actually is an encounter with God? Number three, why is it possible for us to have an encounter with God at all? And then number four is when do you know that it has happened? All right? So how? How do we encounter it? What is an encounter with God? Why is it possible to have an encounter with God? And then when do we know that we have attained it? And we're going to see four different elements that are kind of going to control us through this whole passage. Number one, how is we see it in the bush. Number two, what is it? We see it in the fire. Number three, why is it? We see it in the angel of the Lord. And number four, when do we know it? Whenever we answer the call. Whenever we answer the call. All right? So this is kind of the four questions that are going to control. Hopefully, as we leave here today, you will have a profile of what it looks like to have a spiritual encounter with Jesus. All right? So let's jump in. Let's jump jump in right away. How do we encounter the God of the Bible? How do we encounter it? And look at the burning bush. Look at the burning bush. We see in verse 4 that Moses is on primarily just a detour in his life. We talked about this a little bit uh, last week, but you probably know and understand if you've seen the Prince of Egypt ever at any point in your life, what's going on in kind of the scenario of of this passage. Uh, Moses is not where he wants to be in his life. He's just not. He he had a kind of a miraculous birth story. He was he was. Uh, nursed by his mother, so he kind of had his national heritage instilled at him at a young age. But then he was raised in Pharaoh's household. But then what happened? Out, out of something very foolish that he did, he murdered someone, and then he had to flee 
flee where he found himself right now, which is not where he wanted to be. So much, this, we know this so, so clearly because back in Genesis, it says that uh, it, it basically condemns what he was doing now. He was keeping flock. He was, he, he was shepherding his flock. And in Genesis chapter 46, verse 37, you know what it says? It says, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So someone that was raised in Pharaoh's household is now doing the very thing that was considered to be so utterly unclean by the Egyptians. This, is, this means that Moses right now is at the lowest of the low. According to his upbringing, he's never been at a lower place. He's never been in a lower place in his entire life. And notice what Moses discovers. He notices something strange. Something strange. He saw that something was out of place, and he went over to go invest, investigate it. Most people that I know, listen, most people that I know that have an encounter with God find themselves in the same place that Moses finds himself or herself in their lives whenever God is about to get their attention. Finds themselves someplace that they don't actually want to be. In other words, most people find themselves in their life find their lives going in a place that they didn't want it to go, according to the plans that they had for them, thus saith them, right? They, they, they didn't want to be somewhere, and this is where God typically wants to speak to you the most. He wants to speak to you the most. You might be in a job situation that you don't want to be in right now. You might be coming out of 2020 like we all are and just like, God, I just wish that that year didn't exist. Uh, I was just having a conversation earlier this morning. I just want things back to normal. We all are kind of feeling that way. Maybe you're a freshman uh, at, Midwest, at Midwestern State, and you just had your senior year stolen away from you and because of 2020, and then you've had your freshman experience at college stolen away from you as well. And here's the point that, that I think God is trying to communicate to us right now. Whenever you think that, your road, that the road of your life is not where you want it to be or that everything is falling apart around you, this is the place that God wants to speak to you the most. Whenever you're struggling, whenever you're down and out, whenever you feel like this is, uh, this is not the place that I would have chose for myself, that's whenever God has your greatest attention. Because what God is trying to do is he's trying to get us to the end of our rope so that we start grasping at other things, to try to understand who he is and what he desires from our life, from what he, he desires from our life. So that's one of the things that we notice from the detour of him turning aside to the bush. Secondly, something, something about the bush that we need to recognize. How does verse 3 put it? It says that he turned aside to see the great sight. You see, Moses, whenever he, was, uh, whenever he saw the bush, he was busy. He had accepted what was going on. He was kind of in the monotony of his life. He was going through his routine. And then all of a sudden, God got his attention with something that was out of the ordinary. And you know what he did? He didn't just put his head down. He didn't just say, okay, this is, go this is going on and uh, I, I just don't have time. I have sheep to deal with here, right? I have, you know, I have a place, new places that I need to graze. I have a job to do. I, I, I have all this. No, he saw something that was different in his life, and then he turned aside. He went over. 
He took time away from the busyness of his life, and he says, I am going to go pursue this new thing that God has apparently put in front of me that, doesn't, that is inexplicable in my life, that is absolutely inexplicable in, in my life. So let me uh, illustrate this in a couple, a couple of different ways. Whenever I, back in the end of 2016, was going through um, a pretty uh, severe spiritual depression, uh, that was affecting everything in my life, my family's life, my, uh, my, mar- my marriage, uh, uh, my health, everything that I went to doctors, all, all of that. Um, I was really, really struggling. And uh, I finally confessed to uh, my, my boss at the time. I just transitioned uh, into going through a, a church planning residency, and thus why we are here today. And um, I, I, I said, I went to a guy who's actually coming to preach here in, in about a month, Spencer Stringer, and said, man, I'm, I'm really low. I'm really low right now. I'm really struggling. And it's affecting everything. And I don't, I don't know what to do. I need help. I need help. And he said a couple of things. He said, well, are you reading your Bible? I said, no, I'm mad at God. Are you praying? Again, mad at God. Are you eating healthy? No. I deserve, or no. Are you, are, are you uh, seeking out community? No, you're the first person I've told this. And all of these things, all of these things, we said, okay, well, how about I help you start to enter back in with Jesus? Let me help you read the Bible. Let me help you pray. Are you, are you praying on your knees? Let's, let's, let's organize some time together to where we are turning aside from the monotony of what's going on right now because it's not working right now. And then let's, tur- let's set aside time to where you can physically, spiritually, emotionally meet with God. And you're probably thinking to yourself, those that are struggling right now, oh, and I bet it got better overnight. No, it didn't. It didn't. But over a year it did. Over a year it did. Because I, by God's grace, and the community of believers came around me and said, hey, let's turn aside and see the greatness of what God can do in and through your life. You see, the depression in my life was a burning bush. Never experienced it before. Never experienced uh, anything like this before, and it was something that was so radically different. I didn't know that it, it could manifest itself in, in my life as a pastor, as a leader, as a Christian. I didn't know that, but guess what? He brought me to the place where I could reconnect with God. He got my attention with the bush. He got my attention with the depression so that he could light a fire within me that has yet to be quenched, that has yet to be quenched. Oftentimes, God will take you in dark places so that you will look up and say, all I need is you. I crave you. I desire you. I want to come back to you. And if you're in a place right now where you're saying, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have chosen this, this path for me, pay attention. Pay attention. Because this is most likely a burning bush in your life that God is trying to get your attention to turn your to turn your affections over to him. Burning bushes can, be, can manifest itself in several different ways, it's like depression, suffering, like I said, something out of the ordinary that's, that's going, on, going on in your life. When things are not going the way that you want them to go, these are uh, different burning, potential burning bushes in your life. But the reality is, is 
You can't just identify the burning bush. Moses saw the bush, did he not? But what did he say? I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to go and take time out of the monotony of life and discover what is going on over there. And what I've noticed in American Christianity is this. Listen, a lot of times in Bible Belt Christianity, those that have been raised up within the church, as soon as suffering comes or this paradigm buster comes within our life, what do we do? We put God on trial and we don't turn to him. We say, God, why are you doing this? This is unacceptable. And what do you do? You shun him. No, turn aside. Redeemer, let's turn aside and run to him. Let's not put him on trial and say, oh, that's weird bush over there. Weird thing that this is going on. 2020, weird year, right? Well, get back to normal. No, wake up. Let's all wake up and experience and understand that God is trying to get our attention and turn us to devote ourselves to him. And the cool thing about this is this applies to Christian and non-Christian alike. If, you, if you've never experienced uh, the grace uh, of Jesus in your entire life, uh, you might be in a place. You might be in a place where you need to turn aside and look. Whenever someone gets up, to you, gets up and stands before you on a ch- Sunday uh, church service and says, hey, it's actually time for you to do business with your maker, that, that might be a burning bush that, hey, I need to actually maybe spend some time thinking about this. But also for all of us in this room that are following Jesus right now, and you are in that kind of spiritual low or depression or anything like that, something's going on that is out of the ordinary, your response is exactly the same. You need to turn aside and you need to look and examine. Do the thought work. Get back into, get back into the word. Get back into community. Get back into praying. Get back into uh, taking care of yourself, not just physically and, and emotionally, but taking care of yourself spiritually for your body, soul, and spirit, just like your maker, okay? So this applies to both, both Christian and non-Christian alike. And this is really how spiritual encounters with God begin. You recognize the burning bushes in your life. You allow them to get your attention, and then you turn aside, and you marvel at the presence of God. You marvel and what God is doing, okay? So that is how, how we typically have encounters with God. Question two, what is an encounter with God truly? What is the encounter with God? What, how can we define it? How can we define it? And I said the, uh, the, the metaphor that is kind of controlling the answer to this question is fire, Fire. Do you know how many times in the Bible that God is defined as the God of fire? The the God of fire? Many, many times. He oftentimes wants to define himself as I am the God of fire. He describes himself uh, as the God that leads the people of Israel out of Egypt by a pillar of fire. He He manifests himself on Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments come with fire. Hebrews chapter 12 describes us that we should worship God in awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. Consuming fire. Blaise Pascal, many of you know him, especially probably college students, because if you ever take a science class, you have to deal, deal with this, this guy. Um, but uh, there's something that was written that was discovered after he passed in one of his coat linings. 
and it was a, it was a journal passage that, he, uh, that someone found afterwards, and it was a very short note that he wanted to keep with him uh, everywhere he went, and this is what it said. It said, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars, I will not forget thy word. God of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. And so, what is this defining for us? What was he actually saying? Did, did, did Pascal uh, believe in God probably before this encounter? Most people, historians say yes, but there was something about this unique encounter to where, where God became a living reality to him. He set something with, deep and within his heart to where he said, you know what, uh, now all of my life, everything that I cherish is about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And let's think about this idea of God and being, the metaphor being used as fire. Uh, there's a couple of things that my, a couple of places that my kids really love to play in. One is a splash pad with water pools, you know, stuff like that. Now, why? Because you can, you can hold water, you can splash it, it's fun. Uh, uh, water is a fun thing to behold, manipulate, uh, swim through, all of that. The second thing, this is primarily Brooks, my three-year-old, is uh, dirt, all right? <laughs> uh, my kids uh, with the Dalton's kids this week built a, or dug a great giant hole in my backyard, which is really cool. Um, but it, it's winter, you know, and so it, dirt is fun to play with, primarily because of the, the same reasons, because you get to hold it, throw it, make dirt, pies and all that stuff. But what's the, the, the adage that we always say to our kids? Uh, you can play with water, you can play with dirt, but you can't play with what? Fire. Fire. You can't manipulate fire. You can't grasp fire. You can't hold fire in your hand. You, you, don't, you don't play with fire. You don't play with fire. You say, Cody, so what? Are you a fireman? Like, what? <laughs> what's, the point that you're, what's the point that you're trying to make? Um, how does this help me understand what a true encounter with the God of the Bible, what Jesus actually means, what Jesus actually does in our lives? Well, notice that whenever Moses asks the fire in the bush, what is your name? Notice what God tells him. He says, I am who I am. He speaks out of the fire, I am who I am. Am. And notice some of the context around this. Whenever he said, right before he says, I am who I am, Moses has been interacting with God, not in a super reverent way. Every time God tells him to do something, what does he have? He has an excuse for why he can't do it. He whines over and over and over again. You know why he's whining? Because he realizes that he cannot manipulate this God. He realizes that he can't hold him in his hands. He realizes that he can't get God to, to change his mind about the course and trajectory that, that God wants Moses to, uh, to live out in his life. He understands that God cannot be manipulated. And, he is, and God is not the way that Moses wants him to be. And so often for us in the Bible Belt, we become disinterested with God. As soon as things don't go our way, as soon as we realize that I have lost control of God in my hands, I can't manipulate him the way that I wanted to. My life isn't turning out the way that I thought it would be turning out. Therefore, 
Therefore, I, I, I am disinterested in the God of the Bible because you're just really mad at him. Or, or what's worse is this. Whenever things aren't going our way, not going our way, we think of it in two different ways. We think that God isn't really the God of, of fire who is both awe-inspiring and something that you cannot mess with and something that it can wield and change and move and burn and something that needs to be revered and respected, but we turn God into something that he's not. And there's two main primary thieves uh, of the gospel that we like to attribute to God that has nothing to do with him and that I think the fire, the, the, the fire metaphor helps us work out. Number one, we like to think of God whenever we're unhealthy and things aren't going our way as the God of legalism as the God of legalism. There has to be a reason for why things are going this way. I must have done something wrong in my, pa- in my past. Therefore, God is punishing me. But this view of God makes God into way more of a killjoy that only really wants you to follow the rules. God's love is conditional with this God. You better obey, this God says. You better obey Let me tell you all the things that Christians do do and then the things that they don't do. Fire is hot. The fire of hell is hot, right? Turn or burn every hour, every second, every day. And in fact, if you're not continually turning, you're probably going to be eternally burning, right? This is the God God of legalism. No grace and says you better try your hardest every second of every day. Try harder. Strive harder. Not good enough. Perform, 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 perform. Or there's another way that we look at God that is equally as prevalent within our culture. It could be becoming even probably more prevalent day in and day out. It's the God of licentiousness. It's the God of licentiousness. And we don't really know um, why things are going bad with this God because this God accepts everything, loves everything. There's not one thing that he would say is unclean. God accepts everything. He, he loves everything. God, this is the adage of my Jesus wouldn't, my Jesus wouldn't uh, declare that as wrong or bad or evil or wicked. You can, you can uh, do whatever you want. You can think about, think about whatever you want. You can um, uh, use your computer however you want. And, and here's the thing. God just forgives. He forgives. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about unholiness. He doesn't care. He didn't care about any of those things. And this is grace growing mutant within our culture. This is the grace of Jesus and the understanding of Jesus not, not being the true God of fire that, that, that the Bible is trying to communicate. It's, it's something else entirely. It's something completely different. And here at Redeemer, we want to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. And the way that we center ourselves on the gospel is we hold the tension of God's unconditional love in in one hand, and on the other hand, his unquenchable holiness and perfection. And we have to say, this is who our God is. He is not one or the other, and he is not lopsided in how he interacts with us. He is perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly perfect, and at the same time, loves us unconditionally, loves us unconditionally. The God of the Bible is a God of fire. Fire is beautiful, is it not? We put fireplaces in our house now. We build fire pits in our backyards, not because we need warmth, but because we enjoy it. 
Because it, it, it's just, it brings us pleasure and delight and joy and nostalgia, and we like it. In the same way, our God is attractive with his grace. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But at the same time, we, know, we have to know and understand how holy and perfect this God is that will by no means clear the guilty. He will not clear the guilty whatsoever. And so we have to understand We have to understand who the true God is. And if we don't understand who the true God is, you know what we do? We make up our own. We make up our own. Who fits our fancy, who who is okay uh, with the sins that I struggle with and the sins that other people struggle with, he's really angry at. (laughs) He's really angry at. But we need to be honest. We need to be honest about pursuing the God of the Bible who holds the tension of his perfection and holiness and his grace and love in perfect balance always. In perfect balance always. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, then we have to hold this in balance as well. He's the God of fire who's both beautiful and dangerous at the same time. At the same time. So so, so much so that he can allow someone like Moses to enter into his presence while whining, while whining. And that's what's truly, truly crazy. There was a guy uh, that I've had the privilege of listening to preach multiple times. He was a missionary in Papua New Guinea from 1971 to 1989. He was there for a very, very long time. If you know anything about Papua New Guinea, there's not a lot of developed world there. Anthony, you need to go there and start developing or something because there's not a whole lot of infrastructure or anything like that. In fact, they keep on finding unreached people groups and literally naked in the wilderness. Tribes that have been there for a very, very, very long time and have no working tools or anything like that. But they've just been isolated from the entire world. And he, he went to proclaim the gospel to one of these tribes. And he waited seven years. Seven years. And they kept on asking. It didn't take him that long to learn the language. He learned it in about four years. But he said, I didn't understand the hearts of the men and women there until seven years into it. He said, I saw many people die. I was there to save their souls, and I saw many people die, mostly at the average age of 40 due to jungle diseases. He says, I, I wept and I cried as friend died, after friend died, after friend died, as I stayed and labored for seven years here. And I, I asked him one day in the living room of one of our provisional elders here at uh, Redeemer Church, and I said, why did you wait so long? And he said, because I didn't want to make up my own religion. I wanted them to understand that Jesus was the great I am, the perfect, one, true, holy, only holy God who had loved them so much that he sent me to go proclaim the good news to this tribe of a thousand people that had their own distinct culture and own distinct language. He did everything so that they didn't just apply him to the gods that they worshipped in the jungle He did everything he could to make sure that they knew and understood who God was. And you and I, I think the burden of a lot of our problems here, even in the Bible Belt, is we have this lopsided view and understanding of who God is. And then that causes us um, 
pain, concern, consternation as we rail against, rail against our God. The God of the Bible is holy. Zero tolerance for sin, evil, and wrong. And yet has a burning compassion for all of his people to know him, to be wooed by his grace, to be wrapped up in his arms, perfectly loving, perfectly loving. So a true encounter with God is not just belief, but it's the true sense of who God actually is, of who he actually is. Blaise Pascal got it. He sensed it. God of fire, awe-inspiring and beautiful at the same time, and yet so dangerously holy, so dangerously holy. So how do, you, how do you know that you've had an encounter with God whenever you recognize that God is the perfect God of both holiness and perfect grace and love? So, real quickly, why? Why is it possible to have an encounter with God? And this is where the angel comes in. I, you probably, whenever you read this, you think to yourself, man, you know, that burning bush. I bet that would have been an amazing sight to see. I would have loved to be able to see the bush on fire and it not burn up. I think even in the Prince of Egypt, he touches it. That's probably really bad. Don't ill-advise to touch any fire. But um, that, that was extra biblical and uh, maybe just a little bit of Hollywood. But um, I think a lot of us, whenever we look and read, at the, read this passage, we are, we are amazed We're amazed at the burning bush, but I submit to you that there's something even more amazing in this passage. Something even more amazing than the bush that didn't catch on fire. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says this. And then he says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, take off your sandals for the place that you're about to step is holy ground. He was already on the holy ground. He was already in the presence of God, not with the right posture. Again, he whined and he whined and he whined the entire time that he was standing in the presence, the very fire of God. He was already in the kill zone and God didn't kill him. That's even more amazing than the burning bush that Moses stood in the presence of God and wasn't utterly consumed, wasn't utterly destroyed. How? How did this happen? I'll tell you why. Because earlier it says that the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses through the burning bush. You see, Moses had a mediator. He had a mediator between him and the holy presence of God. The holy presence of God that was being manifested in the burning bush. And and this is what's crazy about all of this. Is in Revelation, in pretty much every place that an angel would manifest itself. You know what would happen? People, it would be amazing, so they say. (laughs) that they were all of a sudden in the presence of an angel, and typically people would fall on their faces and begin to worship. And you know what most angels would say? They say, no, 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 I'm a creature just like you. Get up and stand up. Don't worship me, worship God. But what happens here is Moses enters in to the presence of the angel of the Lord, takes off his sandals, which is a a sign of complete and utter worship in, in this culture, because he recognized that he was in the presence of God himself. 
And what's crazy is the angel receives, the angel receives the worship. Why is this crazy? Because there was a man many, many, many years after this who was in an argument in a temple with some Pharisees. And during the course of this argument, the Pharisees looked at this man and said, who are you to be saying these things? Are you greater than our father Abraham? And this man said something very odd and potentially not grammatically correct. He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And so what's crazy about that, what's crazy about that is if you know your Bibles well, you know that the Pharisees picked up stones to kill him. Why? Why did they pick up stones to try to kill this man? Who is Jesus, by the way? Whenever he says, before Moses was, I am. You want to know why? Because he didn't say, before Moses was, I was. Before Moses was, I'm 3,000 years old. That's not what he was trying to say whatsoever. He was saying that the word was has never applied to me. There's never a moment in time, history, space that, what, that I ever was something. I have always and forever been the consistent I am. Nothing in the past will ever apply to me. I am the ever-present, all-sustaining life force that has never not existed. That's what Jesus was claiming at this point. I depend on nothing for my existence, and everything else depends on my existence. And so you see... Jesus was able to say that to those Pharisees. You want to know why? Because he said it before. He said it here in the bush. Because what the angel of the Lord is, he's not like other angels. He's receiving worship. And primarily, every single scholar that I've read on this passage says the angel of the Lord has to represent actually God himself. God himself. So the only reason that Moses was able to, to have this encounter with God is because the mediator was keeping the fire of God from consuming this man. He was keeping the fire of God from consuming this man. And this is what's great. And this is what's good news about receiving the fire of Jesus. Because if you hold the, the idea of who God is, according to the Bible, in, in perfect tension, he blows away these false gods that we like to make up and lean and skew towards whenever we're thinking about God himself. Because Jesus is so much better. He's so much better than the God of legalism because he doesn't just say, try your best, work hard, obey, obey, obey. He says, your obedience will never be enough. And yet I will do something. I will do something so that you can still be in the presence of God. And he's so much better than the God of just free grace for all. And it doesn't matter. And it's just, it it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. You can profane the name of God until your dying breath. And he just displays grace to you. Why? Because that love costs God nothing. But what we see, how Jesus displays his grace to us, is it cost him everything. It cost him everything. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of fire. Hold it, 
holding in the balance. Whenever we encounter God through Jesus, we understand how perfect love and perfect justice can be reconciled, how grace and truth can be displayed in everything that we do. Don't you see, don't you see, the God of Jesus Christ is more loving than the God that accepts everyone, and he is more holy than the God that says, try your best. Why is it possible for Moses to stand here? Because he had a mediator, the great I am, to make a way for him. When do you know that this has happened to you? When do you know that this has happened to you? When you answer the call. This is my last point, very quickly. How do you know that you've had an encounter with God through Jesus? Look at verse 12 of Exodus chapter 3 and look what it says. And he said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. That I have sent you. You want to know that you've had an encounter with God? You have answered the call to be sent. I've heard it said that God is like a spiritual tornado. The only reason that he sucks you in is to kick you back out to send you back out. He accepts all of us, even this Moses who whined in his presence day in and day out. But he received the grace of God through the mediator, and we need to understand that. We need to understand that. And what happens whenever you realize that you've had a true encounter with God is there's something about you that's been permanently changed. There's something about you that's been permanently changed. You're not okay with just living a country club Christian life. A Bible belt, this doesn't matter. You're not okay with it. You, you whisper the name of Jesus whenever you drive in your car. You, you pray to him whenever you lay your head on the pillow. When you wake up at night, you're praying to him again. You, you whisper his name to your kids. You, you think about him. You pray to him. You, you, you go to him day in and day out. There's something about you that is permanently changed whenever you hold the God of fire in perfect tension where you see his beauty and you also see his love and his grace. You see his holiness and you see his desire for you at the same time. It permanently change you to where you cannot just be Cody. You're Cody sent. You're yourself, enter your name, sent. In your, in your classrooms, on, on your social media, everywhere that you interact, everywhere that you talk to people, you are a sent one. That's how you know that you've answered the call. That's how you know that you've had a real spiritual encounter with God because every single person in the Old Testament, guess what? Isaiah recognized the holiness and perfection of God. He says, woe am I. I'm a man of unclean lips and live, dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And you know what he says? Go. And he goes. Moses whines the entire time and God says to him, go. And he goes. The disciples, the disciples, what happened to them? This is what's interesting, is they got the Great Commission, and then he said, wait on the Holy Spirit, whom John the Baptist said, he will baptize you with fire, with fire, the fire of God that won't consume you. And what happened? What happened in Acts chapter 2? The presence of God came in them, and it was something like tongues of fire were over their heads, and they were sent out. They dwelt in the presence of the fire of God, and yet it didn't destroy them. Why? Because they had the mediator 
that displayed his grace to them to where you can stand in the presence of God. You can stand in the presence of God and also not be consumed. See, this is our story. This is our story of salvation. This is what it means for God to beckon, to draw you close. Are you in the middle of a detour right now? Are you, in, are you at the point of your life where you say, I wouldn't have chosen this? If you are, turn aside, pay attention, take time out of your life, and go behold the all-amazing wonder and perfection of God who is not just perfectly holy and will by no means clear the guilty, but is abounding in steadfast love for you and for me. you got to turn aside. You have to recognize where you're at. And then, if it's really happened, you'll answer the call to where you'll wake up every morning and you'll say, Jesus, I want more of you. I need more of you because you're so amazing, so great, so powerful, and I can behold you in balance. Even though, even though you're constantly telling me things that are broken within me, you, brought, you draw me close in the midst of your rebuke. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for you today, is that you recognize the detours on your life, and you listen for the voice of God as you turn aside and run to him. Will you pray with me?